Hey, y'all, just a quick heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is eight to 10 years old. Now, these episodes were intended to be evergreen, and I still believe there's a lot of good information in these early episodes, but I do want to let you know that some of my ideas have evolved over time. Times have changed since we made these episodes, and ultimately, I'd like to think I've grown a lot as an artist and a human and that these don't necessarily represent my best work or the best of the podcast. If you're new around here, I suggest starting with the most recent episode or at least go back to around 300 and move forward from there. Enjoy the episode. to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. This show is about commercial art, striking the balance between making a good living and making great art. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza, and I'm here to bring you some pep to your step. And let's do a rep of a few creative exercises. I don't know. Thanks to our syndicate, illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. Illustration Age, they're a great resource for illustrators. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and his band Y for our theme music. And to Nate Utesh and the band Metavari for all the other tunes. Go check them out at soundcloud.com slash Metavari. That stuff is fantastic. Okay, let's jump in. Let's go to the news. We have some news here. Uh, I have a new website for Creative Pep Talk, creativepeptalk.com, and I am so stoked about it. I've been working on it like a madman behind the scenes uh, that did a bunch of illustration for it. I'm pretty stoked about it. Go check it out, creativepeptalk.com. Uh, on there, you can sign up for the newsletter. If you sign up for the newsletter, you'll have access to the first 50 episodes of the podcast. Um, and every week, I'll send you a lovely little email reminding you we have a new episode. So go check that out. I also want to tell you about something very interesting that I'm a part of. It's called Ghost Camp, Ghost Scout Training. This is with my man, Dan Bandit. He created the world for Adventure Time. And he invited me out to... He, he does this little, like, summer camp in August. And it's a month-long and he brings like quote unquote celebrity uh, art guests um, and me apparently <laughs> um, to come out to meet with a small group of artists and illustrators that want to step up their game. So go check that out at ghostshrimpglobal.com. Go read more about Ghost Scout Camp. It's going to be fantastic. It's going to be phenomenal. It's going to be, I wanted another F, but I can't, I know, and I know that phenomenal is PH, so you don't have to send me a tweet and remind me. I know that, but it's phonetically F. I can't think of any other ones. Anyway, that's going to be sweet. Thanks, Dan, for inviting me out. I'm super pumped. 
last thing. I'm going to be at Icon this year. That's July. It's going to be a fantastic time. Listen up, people. If you see some goofy guy with clear-ish glasses uh, (laughs) and a beard, and it's me, please come talk to me. Um, Don't don't be weird and and uh, and just think mm, he's probably he probably doesn't want to talk. I do want to talk. If you're a podcast listener and you're pumped about it, maybe you hate it. Maybe you want to come air your grievances. If you want to do that, I'm open to that. I'm open to the the feedback. But you know, let's talk. Let's hang out. I'm looking forward to meeting tons of you at the conference. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. All right, first things first, I want to talk about the movie... Deadpool. I saw it, okay? I grew up, and Deadpool, I grew up, if you didn't know that, and Deadpool was my favorite Marvel character. Now, I didn't actually, I was kind of a poser in that I didn't read the comics. I just liked the toys. I had a bunch of the the playing, or not, I don't know, they're not playing cards, collectible cards, and uh, I watched the cartoon, and I somehow got a toy of the character Deadpool, and I really just thought it was he had cool weapons and his suit was really cool. I was kind of always into, I think I was always secretly into minimalism. And I liked that his suit was like super minimal and sleek and cool. And uh, so I was, you know, so he was kind of like my favorite. And, you know, when I was a teenager, I read some of the comics and, and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, I went to the movie, saw it with my, uh, my brother, 
Jordan, and I'm going to tell you, this is my actual, the best review that I could give of it is it was an innocent painful. You've heard of a guilty pleasure, right? It was the opposite of a guilty pleasure in that it was, and that would be an innocent painful. I've coined this. Uh, An innocent painful is something that um, you don't feel like you feel as critically good. Like I think they took the character and they did really interesting things with it. They did, they were true to it. They brought it to film in, you know, they were, they did a really good job in ways that lots of comic book movies don't. They captured the essence of Deadpool. Now, the problem though with that is that as an adult, everything about Deadpool I hate. And so it was super painful. So I hate, I don't, you know, I, and I'm sorry if you're a massive fan, but I personally tried to fill up my mind and life with affirming things, things that are, you know, positive and encouraging and getting, um, you know, trying to make the world a better place. And Deadpool was so cynical and dark and, um, yeah, just made me feel sick. And so it was an innocent painful. And I think that in our world, in the arts world, it's easy to be an innocent painful. Like it's easy to be super cool, but nobody's really feeling it. Like nobody's super pumped about what you're doing. I think often we allow ourselves to be so self-aware that we're self-conscious. Like we we know that what we like is maybe considered uncool by certain people and therefore we shy away from it and we do some we hide behind work that is cool. We hide behind work that is safe. And I think you see it in design, you see it in music, you see it in illustration. You see it all over the place. We we do work that we know is critically good but it doesn't actually strike a chord with us. And if it doesn't strike a chord with us, it's not going to strike a chord with anyone else. And so today, I want to talk about this idea. Are you losing jobs for being too cool? I'm going to base this whole episode on Mean Girls. Now, as I was was unpacking this idea, I realized, had I been cooler which I guess is kind of the it's kind of meta, but if I if I'd been cooler, I would have based the episode on Freaks and Geeks, which is like a much cooler version of Mean Girls. But since you know, I wanted to be true to the topic. Let's go with Mean Girls. Mean Girls was written by Tina Fey, starring Lindsay Lohan, one of the big first roles for Rachel McAdams. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, and you know what? Uh, it's a, it's kind of a cheesy, uh, it's t- teen movie, but I think it has its merits. I do. Uh, but in that movie, let me give you a recap. Lindsay Lohan plays a character named Katie who was homeschooled on the plains of Africa with her family who I believe were zoologists. When they finally settle down, she has to go to a public high school, but she's a total nerd. She doesn't know anything about culture. She doesn't know what's cool. And she goes there and looks like a buffoon. And she meets some friends, some friends that she genuinely gets along with, that understand her, that are there for her. But along the way, she gets 
coerced, uh, tricked into being friends with the plastics. That's Rachel McAdams and her two friends. They, <laughs> I just, this is just absolutely ridiculous telling you the plot of Mean Girls. And I think that what happens is she realizes her friends that really meant something to her all of a sudden look like outsider dweebs. And she distances herself from them. And so today on the show, we're going we're gonna to learn some lessons from Lindsay Lohan. We're gonna, and I would love for you to quote me on that uh, all over the internet. And I'll just be your Tina Fey. Tina Fey was like the, the, the voice of wisdom for Lindsay Lohan. And I'll be Tina Fey, you be Lindsay Lohan. Okay, let's get into it. So in Mean Girls, the cool group, the right group to be friends with were the Plastics, these mean girls. And, but really, her true friends were these outsiders. And in my experience, back in the old high school days, and I'm kind of, I'm pretty ashamed, actually. Um, I mean, I was a teenager, so I'm not that ashamed. Like, I, I was a foolish teenager like many foolish teenagers. But I'm kind of ashamed when I look back to think that, you know, in high school, I was really desperate to be cool. Like, I really wanted to be one of the cool kids. And because I'm a strategic thinker, I constantly was calculated and strategic about that, which is, gosh, saying that makes me cringe so bad, and it's really disgusting. But, you know... I was super cool in middle school. Let me tell you why. I got, I had this fortuitous event, uh, th- this kind of mishap that led me to being one of the coolest kids in school. I moved to Western New York when I was in sixth grade. And, you know, things were going fine. I made some friends and it was all good. But towards the end, the coolest girl in school, her friend, asked me out for her and I said yes and I was in heaven but (laughs) I'm pretty sure I don't know for a fact but I'm pretty sure that her best friend was actually playing a joke on her but this popular girl was actually not a mean girl and she was too sweet to tell me that she really hadn't asked me out (laughs) And I remember, I remember that day so clearly. Like my fortune had just dramatically changed when every when word got round that I was dating, quote unquote, dating. Meaning, we sometimes talk to each other in math class. Uh, <laughs> the coolest girl in school. Everybody treated me so differently. Things had really turned around, and honestly, it led to three years of being one of the cool kids. And I relished it. I, I loved it. And when I, before I moved, we, we were going to move back to Indiana. I knew. I knew, like, I didn't pull that off on purpose. It was a complete accident. And I probably didn't deserve it. <laughs> and I thought, man, they're going to know I'm a phony. Like, they're not going to let me be one of the cool kids. And I'm not going to be uh, adored. <laughs> and And so when I moved back, you know, it was such a dramatic shift. It was so depressing. Like, I remember lots of days when I first moved back. I moved back in the middle of freshman year, 
which is like the worst where everybody had already paired off and uh, there were, you know, everybody had made their little groups and become, you know, defensive and protective of each other. And so like for several, I think weeks, I actually ate lunch alone, <laughs> alone at the table. And I was, it was so depressing. And I, and I never really, I kind of weaseled my way into um, a segment of the cool crowd. I was always still kind of an outside, outsider. Um, but the fact of the matter was that I never really connected with those people. Like I decided who my friends were going to be based on who was cool, like which metric I I decided to grade uh, my friends based on the metric of popularity, not on the metric of authenticity, not on who actually meant something to me. And I think often in the arts, we chase the things that seem the most romantic, the markets that seem the most romantic or the most acclaimed, and we let those metrics decide the work that we're going to do. And there's so much more value in just being who you really are, gravitating towards doing the work that you enjoy the process of and other people and they're, enjoy it too. And other people uh, respond to it and there's a demand for it. I think of people like Michael Jordan. I go back to this over and over, but it's, it's powerful to me. Michael Jordan like wasn't satisfied to be a basketball player. Like in his mind, it was all about baseball. So it, at his peak, in his prime, he left the sport that he loved playing, that he was phenomenal in, where there was a giant demand, and he went into baseball and sucked it up, basically, and did it, you know, was, was not special. And I think in our minds, we gravitate towards the markets that we've been told are worthy or the markets that are the hot, new, sexy thing instead of being honest about where our people are. I think when you go into a market, if you find the other people in that market to be really annoying and you don't connect with them, you're in the wrong market. Like these should be your people to a certain degree. And so for me, somewhere along the way in high school, I started to just gravitate towards some of my friends at my job who were a lot like me, who were goofy dorks like me in a lot of ways. And at first I was a little bit like, I don't know, self-conscious about it or like, I, I knew that like, oh, these are not the cool kids. And therefore, that means that I'm not one of the cool kids. But the relationships that I made in that arena have lasted to this day. And the relationships I made with the so-called popular people have totally vanished. I don't talk to any of those people. If you chase the sexy new market, the thing that everybody wants right now, you're going to get into a bottleneck situation where you're going to get thousands of people all trying to grab the small bit of land. Gary Vaynerchuk, the marketing uh, genius, I would say, says, don't be romantic about how you make your money. I think often in the creative world, we get obsessed with what was legit in the yesteryear. What's the thing that has the awards and is celebrated? 
But those things were not celebrated often when they got started. And so I think you need to look for where is the most attention but the lowest amount of competition that really moves you, that you enjoy the process, and people respond to your work in that market. You need to push into those areas and not be worried about whether it's cool or legitimate or celebrated. The reason why you need to communicate what your market is, what market your work is really suited for is because it's a lot of work to try to understand uh, where this art fits. It's so much work that a lot of people don't want to do it for themselves. That's why a lot of people avoid deciding on a market to focus on in any given season. And you don't have to stay in that market your whole career, but I do think it's important to choose one and own one in any given season. Now, all of that work, if you don't do it, all that work of figuring out the best market for your work, if you don't do the work, you're asking a director to do the work. You're asking someone else to figure out how to use your work. And nobody's going to spend that amount of time because nobody cares about your stuff more than you. And so if you don't care enough to figure out how to use it, no one else will. It's just like in acting. It's the same. Like actors get typecast. That's why you see, you know, random kind of secondary character from Friends playing a cop and then 15 years later playing it on Louis C.K.'s show. Now he's a cop again. He's like, oh, that guy was a good cop. He really knew how to do a, be a cop. And often like illustrators think if they have a portfolio of dogs, it's obvious that they understand anatomy. It's obvious that they could do cats. But in director's mind, the only safe bet is that you can do dogs. And so it's really, really important to communicate. This is the market that my work fits and I'm competent in that market. And so let's say you're a graphic designer. You know, you'll see a lot of graphic designers out there. They'll be putting out these beautiful shapes and, and graphic elements and, you know, beautifully rendered type, but it's all disconnected from any actual project. It's all uh, kind of random and not used in any specific way. It's just an Instagram post, but it's not connected to anything. And in their mind, it's like, oh, you could take this stuff to be logos. You could take it and make it poster design. You could make it into packaging. You could do anything with this stuff. It could be used for everything. That's letting the director do all the work of figuring out how to use you. If I were you, I would pick one of those things, pick logos, pick packaging, and then do work, do a whole portfolio, do a whole project geared towards that thing so that people know how to cast you. Like it takes a really, really special casting director to opposite typecast somebody. You know, it, it, Jim Carrey only gets... Uh, one film a decade where he plays the introverted chill person like Eternal Sunshine. And so how can you communicate? This is the market that I'm a part of. Think about that while we transition to number two. Number two is being true to yourself. Now in Mean Girls, let's go back to that plot. I know you're biting your nails thinking, what happened to Lindsay Lohan next? Well, let me tell you. <laughs> so Lindsay Lohan's super good at math, okay? 
And again, I could have gone with Freaks and Geeks. There's a similar plot line here. But let's go. Let's just stick with the path that we've chose. Lindsay Lohan, super good at math. Tina Fey is the math teacher, is encouraging her to be a part of math club. But Lindsay knows that math is not cool and she wants to get the boyfriend. So she pretends like she sucks so she can... She can get, I think, tutored. It's been a while since I've seen the movie, but if I remember correctly, she wants to get tutored by this whatever. I don't know if that's accurate. All I know is that she was super good at math, and she pretended not to be because it wasn't cool. And so, so often, you find these people. I find students. I find people I work with with my art business coaching that disconnect themselves from what really moves them because they've decided that it's a guilty pleasure. It's something that they should be ashamed of. And they distance themselves and they hide behind cool work that doesn't mean anything to them so that they're not scrutinized. I talked about this in the last episode with Tyler Deeb. If you opened a restaurant and you created these perfectly cooked, immaculate rice balls There's nothing to them, just rice. Nobody would be thrilled about it. Like, you could take anyone there. Like, 99% of people could eat that for dinner. But 0% would be stoked out of their minds about it. Now, if you take that rice, that perfectly cooked rice, and throw in some raw fish, fish eggs, seaweed, all of a sudden, some people are going to be totally disgusted and think this is the worst restaurant ever. And then a whole other group of people, though, a small group, are going to be super passionate because now you don't have rice balls. You've got sushi balls. (laughs) I really just meant sushi, but I just like the the phrase sushi balls. (laughs) Uh, Right? Like, so you you have this thing where uh, now you're polarizing people. Now, instead of pleasing everybody you're pleasing a few people but you're really genuinely connecting with them and if you don't do that your work is not going to mean anything to anyone but we shy away i think most markets look like a bunch of foot soldiers have you have you seen this new up and coming kids movie teenage mutant ninja turtles <laughs> uh, i was massively into teenage mutant ninja turtles when i was a kid i told my my brother would say my older brother would say what are you going to be when you grow up and i'd say i'm going to be a ninja turtle and he would say you can't be a ninja turtle when you grow up and he'd say dad tell him he can't be a ninja turtle and my dad would say he can be whatever he wants i was a good dad (laughs) and he's like dad he can't be a turtle though and then I'd be like, fine, I'll just be a ninja. He's like, you can't be a ninja. And, uh, so I was obsessed. I loved Ninja Turtles. My favorite was Michelangelo. I've always been a total goofball. But often, I think markets look less like the Ninja Turtles and more like the foot soldiers, where all of them fit in. Like, everybody looks the same. And if you're going to pick which one is your favorite uh, foot soldier, you're going to have a hard time. It's like saying, which one is your favorite stormtrooper? There's only two that you know. One being Finn and the other one being that silver lady. <laughs> so you, you ha- you're in the market. You've, you've, you've owned that you're, you belong to this segment of the industry. 
But within that segment, it needs to be less like the foot soldiers and more like the Ninja Turtles, where you're all the same but different. You bring something unique. And so everybody has a favorite turtle. Everyone responds to a different one. It could be just that the fact that they like orange, or it could be that they like jokes, or they like the one that's smart. That's Donatello, for your information. I never understand these people that cannot get the Ninja Turtle straight. I think it's not, it's really not that difficult, but I feel like I run into those people all the time. Now, this podcast is not about Ninja Turtles, so I'm going to, I'm going to pause that discussion right there. But in your market, you have to set yourself apart. Being an artist that's trying to fit in is like being a chameleon that's trying to stand out. Being an artist that's trying to fit in is like being a vegetarian butcher. It is essential to being an artist to stand out. And so if you don't want to stand out, if you're worried or anxious about standing out, you have picked the wrong profession. And if you don't want any, you don't want to make anybody upset, you don't want to, you know, polarize anyone, you're in the wrong profession. At some point, you have to make a decision and say, this is who I am whether you like it or not. I think what's tough for us is that we grew up in the assembly line, industrial revolution, factory-made manufacturing world where everything needed to be for the mass market. But nowadays, it doesn't work like that. Production has changed in such a way and distribution has changed in such a way that it makes a lot more sense to really niche down into a specific segment of the market so you can connect with people. Like no one listens to rap anymore. Like you you listen to psychedelic folk trip hop, right? Like you don't, it, it, you have to be more specific. You have to connect on a smaller level. And I've talked about this before. There's, uh, I think it's Kevin Kelly. I believe he used to work for Wired. I could be messing all that up. But he wrote this article that was really uh, renowned. And it was this idea of a thousand true fans. Like nowadays, all you need is a thousand true fans. Meaning you just need a thousand people that are willing to spend a hundred dollars on your work every year. And if you do that, you're going to make a decent living, a hundred thousand dollars a year. And so instead of trying to market to the masses, how can you be someone's favorite? Now, Freaks and Geeks, when that, I know I'm going to Freaks and Geeks and not Mean Girls, but I've got something to say. Don't get upset that I'm breaking the formula of the episode. Uh, Freaks and Geeks has become a phenomenon. It launched some, some of the most famous people in Hollywood's career. Judd Apatow, who was the producer, said that they made a show that they didn't care if everyone liked it. They knew that a lot of people wouldn't like it. They just wanted to be somebody's absolute die-hard favorite. And that's the way that I think you need to approach this thing. And so here's what I think that looks like. Let's say you are a folk musician. Now, folk is typically very pretty and very humble and you know, quiet and relaxed. How can you bring something about you that doesn't fit? Often it's, it's what your weakness is. Like maybe, or maybe it's that you, you grew up super into stand-up comedy. And so you're going to bring that into the fray. You're going to bring this thing that doesn't fit and mash it in. And I'm obsessed with this idea. And often I think so many people get caught up 
on the fact that creativity, real creativity, is super hard, and it's something you have to force to happen. And here's what I mean by that. I believe creativity is the connection between disconnected things, things that other people cannot see as connecting, you forcing the connection. And I think when you ask people to be creative, truly creative, they almost never do it because it seems impossible. And so stand-up comedy into folk music, can you really do that and then still make legitimately good folk music? Well, look at Sun Kill Moon. That's someone I go back to a lot because he's doing some really interesting things and it's you know, really niche, but I can cry to one of his songs and in that same song, crack up laughing. And so what's weird about you? What doesn't fit in? The thing that you've been trying to hide, how do you inject that back into what you're doing? Maybe it's, you know, let's, if let's go back to the logo designer. Now don't just think, all right, I'm making logos. Now think about, now I'm making coffee logos. Like there is so much work in that industry. You'd be blown away by how many businesses and companies there are across America and and then greater national and international markets. Like how can you say, all right, I'm not just this person. I'm a more specific subset so that they don't have to do the work. For me, this has looked like, you know, I'm super into modernism and like mid-century stuff, Swiss design. I really love all that stuff. But the truth is is I'm pretty sloppy. And for a long time, I just could not see how to connect those things. Like, And I'm not saying, I'm saying sloppy in that I'm kind of uh, a klutz. I'm kind of, uh, you know, I, I can be messy and my desk is currently super messy. And I just, that's just kind of my nature. Like I, I, stub my toe on things and fall over and I'm constantly breaking furniture and all kinds of stuff like that, which is not, doesn't seem like it would work with Swiss design because it's so calculated and pure and simple. And I've found ways of how do I make stuff that feels modern and Swiss, but in a rough kind of textured way. And all of a sudden I'm I'm getting a style out of that. One thing that I see happen often is People know that they need a style, they need a, they need a unique voice, and so they try to settle on something really early and go all in and be known for that thing before it's really had time to develop into something good. I think you need to dedicate yourself to developing that unique voice over a lifetime. And yeah, it'll look a little bit messier, but it means that you're going to get to more interesting things. Like the things I was doing six or seven years ago look really, really different to what I'm doing now, but the work I'm doing now is so much more honest and it's so much more uh, deeply connected to who I really am. And I think you need to be okay with exploring over a career. You do need to make decisions along the way, but don't box yourself completely in. So my question to you, How do you take those things, those things that really don't seem to fit in, and bring them to the table so that you can be more of a ninja turtle than a foot soldier? All right, last one. Number three is keep the baby. And this isn't about having a baby. It's about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. So 
let's go back to Lindsay. Lindsay Lohan, when she finally wakes up and realizes who her real friends are and she goes back to her crew, she doesn't completely lose everything that she learned from the plastics. Like, you'll notice she keeps some of the makeup. She keeps some of the style that feels right, the things that she learned. When you come home from the journey, the, the massive journey of the plastics, you don't come home the same person. And so one of the things that I think is another stumbling block is if you tell people, look, you need to lean into those guilty pleasures, you need to be who you really are, often they start making stuff that's really irrelevant and kind of gross to the market because they haven't kept what they've learned. They they, They didn't keep the makeup on. So for me, it's like this podcast, the challenge for me was that I can listen to a lot of like really cheesy, motivational stuff, uh, stuff that uh, a lot of people couldn't get down with, stuff that just makes me excited about what I'm doing and it makes me feel warm and fuzzy. And then I can listen to a lot of business marketing stuff, some of it that's kind of, uh, you know, there are portions of it that I don't agree with or that I don't like or seem icky or seem too salesy or whatever. And although that stuff strikes a chord with me, I feel like you need to know the rules. You need to be familiar with the rules enough to understand how to break them. And so as I approach doing this podcast and making something that makes people feel good about what they're doing, like one of the goals for the podcast was that I want you to feel a lot better about the work you're doing and about your creative career after you've listened to an episode. I want you to feel, if you're feeling bummed, When you put on Creative Pep Talk, afterwards, you're feeling pumped, stoked, ready to go. And I also wanted it to be practical, good sales, marketing, business advice. And I knew, though, that if I approached it in the same way as the stuff that was really striking a chord with me, that it would not be palatable to my market. And so there's a degree in which you need to take all that stuff you learned from the cool cats and apply that to the new work. So for me, that looked like, how can I be motivational with ever, without ever being hokey? How can I be, uh, you know, pet people up without it ever being impractical or irrational or, or flaky or, or thin? How can I make it pro-business, pro-marketing without ever being disgusting or manipulative? And, how, and, and one of the ways I've done that is just approach it with a silly not taking myself too seriously nature, which I think, you know, some, some people in those arenas are kind of guilty of. And I thought a lot about how do I translate this thing that I love to a group of people that don't love it, that aren't into it, or can't see the value in this old guilty pleasure. And so I think, uh, putting it through that matrix and and doing the hard work of creativity of making those connections, uh, will definitely pay off. You know, in high school, at some point, I'd kind of weaseled my way high enough into the popular crowd where I had another one of those kismet, perfect accident situations where the coolest girl in school broke up with her boyfriend days before prom and didn't have a date. Everybody was paired off, and she asked me to take her to prom. And that moment 
was so glorious. I felt like I've done it. I've I'm I'm in. It's all happening. It's all going my way. Only to find myself, you know, going to the after prom party on the bus, sat next to this person who I knew nothing about, you know, going on and on about all kinds of things that I didn't care about. And they weren't bad things. They weren't wrong things. They were just things that we did not connect over. And now we're having this forced conversation in a miserable night. And I, and I didn't enjoy prom for that reason. And I think it's so easy to chase getting the right likes on social media. Like getting the cool cats to affirm you or getting the right awards in the industry. But I kid you not, a lot of those people that have the best, coolest awards and are the most celebrated, a lot of those people are the same people that have a difficult time actually making a living out of this. And so that feeling might feel really good when that cool cat likes your thing on Instagram, but that's a really fleeting moment. Now compare that to genuinely connecting with an audience with people that are celebrating what you do because it means something to them, because it made them laugh or it made them cry, and they, they felt so excited they had to remark on it. They had to share it with their friends and family. Now that, that's not a fleeting thing. That's a relationship that you develop over time. That's something that's truly creatively fulfilling. You know, I had a lot of girlfriends in high school. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know if it was a mommy issue. My mom wasn't around. I, so I was obsessed with having girlfriends. Um, but I had a lot of girlfriends and, you know, that none of them were people that genuinely connected with who I was. And often when I was at my most me, they would tease me or like cut me down. Now compare that to when I went to college, I didn't date anybody. I kind of swore off dating and I thought I'm not going to date anybody that I wouldn't consider marrying. And I kind of had an idea of these are the people I want to marry. And when I finally met my wife, Sophie, and I fell head over heels and so did she, uh, this was a person that I actually deeply connected with on an authentic level. And it didn't matter if either of us were cool or the right people, we were really genuinely into each other. And when I'm at my most me, when I'm really being myself, she doesn't cut me down or tease me. She explodes with giddiness and squeezes me and say, I love you. I adore you for who you really are. And that feeling is not fleeting. That feeling is what gets me out of bed in the morning. And that's the kind of... Now, you're not going to find that in art. Like, my wife is a relationship that means a lot more to me than the work that I do. But developing those real connections with your work, stuff that's not surface level, not the just the cool cat crowd, now that will really move you. That will really be worth something. This episode pepped you out of your minds and uh, makes you want to go make your best stuff. Thank you guys for uh, letting me be Tina Fey on your journey. Uh, (laughs) 
Um, I know it's hard, man. You know, it, it's always going to be hard. There's always going to be a challenge. You're never going to work so hard that one day it's not hard anymore. Like, this is a hard road. Life's, you know, life has challenges no matter what you do. If you choose to be an artist, there's going to be a lot of battles. And uh, you know what? If you work hard, there's going to be a lot of victories too. And you got to got to try to enjoy that whole journey. But I get it. I'm in my own battles, own trenches. Um, so I feel you on that. Don't forget to check out creativepeptalk.com. Super proud of that. Thanks for all of you who retweeted and shared that. It means a lot, you sweethearts. Uh, <laughs> thanks to uh, Dan Bandit with the Ghost Shrimp. Go check out Ghost Scout Camp. They're still, uh, I think they're taking people. They're going to decide who's going in June. It's going to be phenomenal, a really, really good time. It's, I think there's only like eight spots, but uh, go check that out. He's got some amazing guests coming out this year. Looking forward to spending a weekend um, with that crew. And I look forward to seeing you guys all at Icon this year. Thanks for listening. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks for all the love and and encouragement that you send me all the time. I really, really, really appreciate it. Thanks to our proud syndicate, Illustration Age. You can find this show at illustrationage.com slash creative pep talk. Thank you over there. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music at the beginning and the end. And thanks to Nate Utesh for all the Metavari tunes. They make this podcast sound so twinkly. You can find their stuff at Metavari. No, at soundcloud.com slash Metavari. Go check that stuff out. Guys, do whatever it takes to stay pepped up. 